0: This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E.
1: Teal Talk Radio Season 6, Episode 19. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 19 of TL Talk Radio. I'm Lynn Funy-Hatton.
2: And I'm Randy Zickenfoos. Today, we're speaking with Mark Porter-McGee about his recent publication in a new initiative from Future Ed and 50Can. Mark is the founder and CEO of 50Can, the 50-state campaign for achievement now. Over the past eight years, Mark has led 50CAN to more than 100 policy victories through advocacy campaigns in more than a dozen states. He previously served as the COO of CONCAN, Research Director of the Partnership for Public Service, and Founding Director of the Center for Civic Enterprise at the Progressive Policy Institute. Mark holds a B.A. from Georgetown University and a Ph.D. in Sociology from Duke. 50CAN's first publication for the Advocacy Labs Initiative, A Little Opposition is a Good Thing and Other Lessons from the Science of Advocacy, is a compendium of 17 advocacy lessons drawn from the most significant academic studies of advocacy over the past 40 years. So being public educators, we're very curious and interested in this topic.
1: So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Good to have you with us this morning.
3: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm excited to talk about this new report, yeah. this new project.
1: So let's get the conversation started with a personal story. Um, you know, why did you become or how did you become so interested in this idea of advocacy?
3: Yeah, so I have kind of a, a, a an interesting way into becoming an advocate. So I actually started out by studying advocacy academically. So as you mentioned, I was getting my Ph.D. in sociology at Duke. And I was really at the time, there was a lot of talk about um how do we create a sense of community, uh, are there some communities that are better of kind of coming together and advocating for making things better for the people that live there. And I got really interested in this and and it kind of brought me into this academic study of social movements. So I was looking at how you build social connections, I got really interested in international social movements that seemed uniquely successful. So I actually went to South Africa and studied the uh, ANC and Nelson Mandela's work there and then came home. and looked at uh, communities in, in in our neck of the woods, and but ultimately, as I was finishing up my Ph.D., I said, I, I really want to be an advocate, not just study advocacy. So that's how I got involved, and so I joined a uh, think tank called the Progressive Policy Institute, and this was right after 9-11, and people were saying, uh, are there ways that we could be uh, uh, investing in uh, communities and change uh, at the local level, and so I, I started work advocating for the AmeriCorps program, which invests in, in local service opportunities around the country. And uh, it turned out the program, just as I was getting started working on it, got cut in the budget by 50 percent. So I got pulled into this whole advocacy push, and um, I wrote a, a paper that ended up uh, be ending up on the front page of the Washington Post federal section, and, and we ended up getting all those cuts restored. And so that was my first <laughs> taste of doing advocacy, and, and um, it, it was just great. And after that, uh, I said, this is what I wanna do the rest of my life.
2: Yeah, super interesting and definitely paints a picture of a lot of experience and, and authority in this, in this field. Mm-hmm. So let's zoom in to, to the paper that we wanna talk about today. Share with us a little bit about how it's organized and you know, most of our listeners are, are educators and who in that field might benefit from the lessons that you outlined in the document.
3: Yeah, so I, you know, I think we've seen in a lot of parts of our world, and particularly in education, um, that there's a conversation around what can the research tell us about how to be more effective in our daily work. Um, and uh, we do a lot of uh, uh, events where we bring people together and we talk about advocacy. How can we be better at advocacy? And there's a lot of personal experience that we can share with each other. But one thing I noticed is we don't often talk about research. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a huge gulf between the research that academics are doing and the work of everyday local leaders trying to make things better. And um, we realized that very few people were reading any of the books that were published. And, and it was sort of a challenge to me. You know, I said, well, maybe we could talk more about research. And people said, is there any good research out there? And is any of this useful to us? And can you boil it down to some real lessons? So that's where it started. And so about two years ago, I started I kind of took it upon myself to say, I'm going to reach out to uh, professors studying this issue. I'm going to read their books. I'm going to read their articles. So I I ended up reading uh, over 200 uh, research studies and books to prepare for the report and then distilled that down into lessons that um, people would find useful in their daily work. So that's the spirit of it. And I think it's unrealistic probably to expect people with day jobs or teachers and parents to be reading academic studies. But you know, we tried to write this report up. So in a couple of pages, you can get a lesson.
2: Yeah. I think that's what, what I found so intriguing about it was yeah. when I saw it, I was just like, there's actually research about this? Like, exactly. that's fascinating. And then just to dig into it and think like things that you think are intuitive or counterintuitive, it was just, it was really, couldn't put it down.
3: <laughs> exactly. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. That's what we tried to do is, you know, uh, a lot of the lessons are counterintuitive, and I think those are some of the more, more interesting lessons to engage with because it it might challenge you to think differently mm-hmm. about how you're approaching you know making change yeah
2: and I think in, in our roles as superintendents, we are frustrated a lot of times with the yeah. way that advocacy works and uh so that the resource is very enlightening
1: absolutely. So let's jump into lesson number one, which might seem counterintuitive, this idea that opposition is a good thing. You know, what does that mean and and why is it important?
3: So I think uh, it is, uh, it's very natural to think uh, that opposition means you're not going to get anything done. I think that's just sort of a very human reaction. I'm sure you know in your daily life all sorts of ways that opposition can feel frustrating or it can feel like... Uh, uh, people are just arguing all the time and and so I think that's the that's certainly the attitude I often bring to this work is like how do we smooth things out? Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is uh, in when you dig into the research studies and there's there's some really interesting research on this that looks at hundreds of issues over decades of work, what they find is the biggest predictor of failure of a cause is no opposition. Mm. Uh, and and the reason is that the, status quo is very sticky. And the way things are doesn't change very often unless there's a big debate and a big conversation. So a third of the time, the the major reason that something fails is for lack of attention. And that's the threshold you're trying to clear. So before you can win a debate, you have to make sure there is a debate. And it takes two sides to have a debate. So actually, your opposition can give fuel to the issue. So, you know, one of the books is is a book called... uh, 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 lobbying and policy change, and they look at this issue of postal reform. Uh, And, you know, everyone could see with FedEx and UPS and the Internet that the traditional infrastructure of post offices was in trouble and that they were going to really need to change pretty dramatically uh, to be relevant to this new world. But every time people tried to create a bill and run the bill, no one wanted to debate it. And it just kept dying from lack of attention. So these kind of more boring, isoteric issues really struggle sometimes to get the attention they deserve.
2: So that's the first lesson that you draw the reader's attention to. And there are 16 other lessons. What are. Are, what are some of your favorites, some of the ones that you'd like to share here? Since we can't so, talk about all of them, what are some <laughs> of your favorites?
3: Yeah, so I think... You know, a big one for me, one of the more challenging ones, is we often approach our work pretty logically, so we try to kind of assemble the facts and think about the rational argument, marshal the research. And when you actually look at what makes a uh, advocacy effort successful, it's those efforts that tap into people's emotions. Mm. So we organize that together into a lesson called Begin with Betrayal, uh, which is sort of a, 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 you know, a little bit of a challenging and shocking way to think about it. but You know, you take a classic uh, change effort like the Civil Rights Movement, Uh, and obviously there was a lot of uh, research behind that and sophisticated legal arguments, but you you look at something like Rosa Parks' bus boycott. Um, What made that uniquely successful was the emotions involved. Um, This was one of the few places in the Jim Crow South where black and white people were being segregated within a few feet of each other and um, the black people who were paying bus fares were actually paying to keep that system alive. And it created a tremendous feeling of betrayal. So when she stood up and defied that system, that became a unique flashpoint for a larger movement around desegregation. So thinking about those moments in our lives when our cause is touching us emotionally is a really powerful way um, to build an advocacy effort. And I think this sense of betrayal is a really powerful one, like that's an emotion that gets people out of their house, into the streets, um, marching for change.
2: So it sounds like it's almost like creating a crisis, like an, at least an emotional crisis. Sense
1: of urgency. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So that- and,
3: and that is um, when we think about emotions, the, there's a professor named James Jasper who talks about emotional batteries and that you need the negative and the positive coming together. So you need both that, that, that anger and that frustration on the negative side, and you need that sense of hope. And what great advocacy leaders can do is bring those two together. We have a crisis, but we also believe we can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Interesting. So that was, my, that was one of my favorite ones that I enjoyed reading. Um, the other one that I was intrigued by was lobbying doesn't look like lobbying, right. which in our world where trying to do a lot of. Um, so t- tell our listeners about what, what nuggets do you have to share for us around that lesson?
3: Sure. So it, it, you know, I think this is an example where TV and movies do us a real injustice. <laughs> uh, you know, If you watch House of Cards or, or some of these other shows, you think that the way you make change in the world is you get behind closed doors and you start shouting at people. Uh, and, and that is not uh, what uh, the most sufe- uh, successful advocacy efforts uh, lobbying looks like. So uh, there's a professor uh, named Beth Leach, and she went in and actually shadowed uh, some of the top lobbyists in Washington and looked at what they were doing, and then stepped back and studied uh, all these different advocacy groups. And what she found is that the most successful lobbying actually looks a lot like helping rather than arm twisting. And the reason is that when you can help someone think through how to advocate on a shared cause, you are much more likely to be pushing in the same direction. You can make a lot of momentum. So the best lobbyists are people who understand the process, who can assemble the talking points, who can help think through how to build a coalition, and work in partnership with people who share their viewpoint. And that kind of capacity building is a lot more successful most of the time than the armed twisting and the
2: arm. Yeah. So, so sort of finding common ground, which is something that doesn't happen a whole lot. In, you no, know, it
3: doesn't. You know, fact, <laughs> I, was, I was doing an interview with her and we were, we were talking a bit about this. And at the end, she said, I, one of the reasons I'm hopeful that we can build more common ground is that, that it's actually in the interest of most advocates and most causes to have that common ground. So advocates in a weird way can be bridge builders. Uh, because it's not very helpful to have half of a community on your side and half against. You need to kind of build larger majorities of
1: So let's wrap up this segment with um, a little bit about the last lesson. I don't remember exactly the words, but something about winning even when you lose. Yeah. Lesson 17.
3: Absolutely. So, you know, we spend a lot of time uh, setting the bar high of what we can expect from our work and our campaigns and, we every year we release here are all the things we're trying to change in the world and then at the end of the year we talk about what worked and what didn't and it it, it can be tough because you you win you lose as much as you win and so i think a one of the questions for us is like even when you lose is there's something that's happening that is making the world better and i think what The scholars have found, when they look at this issue, is that advocacy campaigns themselves can be really powerful, positive forces in community because they can bring people together, because they can teach people the skills of democracy, and our our democratic system works so much better when people are participating. So, you know, one of the one of the big examples is the prohibition movement, uh, which obviously, you know, was one of the bigger pushes in the late 19th century and early 20th century. Uh, banned alcohol for a period of time, was rolled back with with the one example where we had a constitutional amendment that actually rolled back a previous constitutional Mm -hmm. amendment. But what was left behind was these deeply engaged people all over the country, millions of people got involved, and a lot of the movements that came after that actually grew out of those experiences. Mm -hmm. So when we're trying to create a vibrant community, having people getting out for causes is a huge part of the solution. Mm
1: -hmm. And there's our win even when you lose
3: exactly <laughs> and that's the win that's the win mm-hmm.
1: so um before we invite you to share what's next for you that you're working on mark let's hear your responsible responses to our lightning response questions sure. are you ready i am
3: i hope so
1: <laughs> so the purpose of these questions is really just to give a give our listeners and ourselves some additional resources or um you yeah. know rabbit holes to investigate to learn more so who is one expert our listeners should connect with to learn more about advocacy? So
3: one of my favorite uh, professors to listen to is uh, a Harvard uh, professor named Theda Scotchpol. And uh, so her last name is uh, S-K-O-C-P-O-L. And I think one of the reasons she's great to listen to is she's one of the few people that's done a lot of field experiments where she's looking at what's happening in advocacy on both the left and the right. So she went out and actually spent a lot of time with, uh, people in the tea party and wrote that up into a book. And right now she's meeting with people in the resistance and she gives a lot of lectures. There's a lot of YouTube videos. If you look her up and, and one of her big insights is that what drives people to be involved in advocacy is the social connections that mm. so you went, if you're trying to create an advocacy movement, it's okay for people to be friends. It's okay for people to have a good time. It, this is as much a social experience as a political experience. And so you've got to, you've got to really pay attention to that.
1: Interesting. I wasn't necessarily thinking of advocacy as the socially embedded um, through that lens. So we'll link her information into the show notes. And And if you were recommending one book for our listeners, what might that book be?
3: So one of the books that I found really interesting was written by a professor at the University of Birmingham named uh, Tondra Loder Jackson. And she wrote a book called Schoolhouse Activists, which takes a look at the role that teachers played in the civil rights movement in the 1960s. And so I think it's a really interesting book, particularly for those listeners who are teachers, because that, L, that role of teachers has been downplayed historically in a lot of the books written about the civil rights movement. And that's because teachers had to keep a low profile because they were often afraid of being fired. Mm. So the role they played in making it safe for students to become activists behind the scenes in supporting change processes like integration uh, has often been overlooked and it's a really fascinating one. Another book that I I really enjoyed, and and I think your listeners would like, uh, is written by a professor named Kelsey Kashmir, and she wrote a book called Fighting for Now, which is about the feminist movement in the 1960s and 70s. And her big finding is that uh, most of the innovation during that period came out of infighting and arguing. So uh, the idea is that the way we create new ideas is actually giving people space to argue about the way forward. Mm -hmm. and that peaceful organizations are some of uh, the the organizations that actually get stuck in only one way of doing things. So if we can embrace uh, fighting among friends, uh, we can get to new ideas that move us forward. Mm
1: -hmm. All right, last question. Do you have an online site or resource or person uh, with whom or from whom you learn regularly?
3: So there's a really great website that I think a lot of people haven't heard about um, called the Scholars Strategy Network. And um, the, the web address is scholars.org. And they, they're a really interesting group. They bring academics together. They've got 30 chapters in 47 states. Um, and their goal is to translate academic research, make it jargon free for regular people. Hmm. So you can go there and on pretty much any topic, uh, dig in, including advocacy, and get summaries of research. They also have a podcast with, with academics. And it's a good way to plug into the research.
1: Great. Thank you. We'll link those in our show notes. Great.
2: So one of the things we talk about a lot around here is education and how it's embedded in this context of the changing world. And part of that changing world is we're seeing more and more youth becoming advocates and taking on this role of advocacy. From your perspective, what could we be doing differently in K-12 education to send that message to our students about the power that they do actually have to be advocates around the issues that they're passionate about?
3: Yeah. Well, I think, you know, advocacy, there's an element of advocacy that's really about practice. And it's really about building up the confidence that you can make change in the world. So I think making, uh, making the world kind of safe for students to advocate for the things they care about, to build up that practice, embedding that in courses where we're learning about what other people have done in the past to move the country forward whether it's history, civic social uh, sciences um, is a big part of it. And I think it's also helping people understand that, uh, helping students understand that their perspective is uniquely valuable. Mm -hmm. That if you look at the successful advocacy movements that came before us, most of them were driven forward by people who were seeing problems in their own life and then connecting with others. And obviously students have a huge role to play in helping us understand What's working and not working about education right now?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great advice. Mm-hmm. So, final question, Mark. Uh, what are you working on now that you'd like to share with our listeners?
3: So, uh, we are going to be continuing to do interviews with leading academics, and uh, we're going to be putting that up on our website, which is advocacylabs.org. So, we've got some really good ones coming up in the next few weeks. And, you know, a lot of our work to date has been translating research. Uh, in a way that um, that advocates themselves can put to use, but we want to turn the tables a bit, and we're we're working with academics to figure out what are the questions. Working with the advocates to figure out what are the questions that they ask themselves every day that academics could be studying, hmm. and how can we collect more data within these campaigns and bring that into the conversation about what works. So that is what we're we're really excited about. We're hoping to roll out some some products right. on Super that.
2: Super exciting work. We look forward to following that.
3: Great.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Mark. Uh, To learn more about Mark's work, you'll see a variety of links in the show notes. And each episode, we'd like to leave you with a question to think about with the idea of provoking reflection and conversation. This episode's question, how might you use the lessons discussed today to enhance your advocacy efforts? If you've enjoyed this episode, would like to comment or check out the resources shared today, visit the show notes at TLTalkRadio.org and look for Season 6, Episode 19. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another conversation featuring another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Mark.
2: Thanks, Mark. Thank you.
1: Bye-bye.